Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. All right, I want you to turn now to Psalm 1. And uh, we're going to do Psalm 1 together in our time. Got to watch our time because uh, some of you have to pick up children, so forth. All right, now, while you're turning to Psalm 1, just for my benefit... How many have Old King James? Yes. <laughs> okay, yes. How many have New King James? A bit better. How many have uh, NIV? God help you. Oh, no, no, no. How many have the Amplified? How many have the Petrified? Huh? How many have the glorified? I mean, one time we used to be able to read the Bible together, get to heaven the same time, because we had the same translation. So I've got old King James and new King James. So if, if we had unity of the faith, we could all read this psalm together. But uh, some of you won't get to heaven till midnight. So we'll have to do it. Okay, I'm going to read from Psalm 1. It's only a short psalm, and we're going to do this tonight. And what I want you to do, because uh, when we get to our final Sunday night, I'm going to give you a one outline sheet where you could do a psalm yourself. And I want to give you some of the keys that I hope you'll pick up uh, that I've used on the way of doing psalms. Because when I was in Portland Bible College 100 years ago, uh, I looked in vain to find a textbook on the book of Psalms. I couldn't find anything anywhere. There was nothing out in those days. That's how old I am. So I did uh, my own exposition of 150 Psalms. So I've tried to fool that and make it sensible for an intelligent bunch of people. All right. So, um, yeah, so that's it. So how many would like to learn how to do a Psalm? Oh, about 20 of you. Great. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to give that to you on the last night and I uh, hope you can pick up some cues uh, on the way through as we do some. All right, so Psalm 1, we're going to do that in our time tonight. Okay, so I'm going to read from New King James. We've got Old King James, New King James. I'm going to read from New King James. So follow along in whatever translation you have. <clears throat> Blessed is... Now, uh, I know I've said this before, but we, as you read the word... And I constantly pray this. The Word is inspired by God. How many believe that? The words are not there to fill up the book. It aggravates me sometimes when I hear preachers say, a lot of the words are peripheral. They're just there to fill up the book. I don't believe that. I believe the words were inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's it. So let's read it in that way. Blessed is the man, and this man is a generic word, includes men and women, Who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree, planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever, whatever he does, shall prosper." The ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, 
nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Did anybody ever sing that psalm? I actually composed a tune to that, but I'm not going to sing it to you. No, you might run away. No. Okay, now, as we look at this psalm, and remember, we believe the words are inspired, they're not there to fill up the book. I've got so much out of this psalm, I've done about three pages on exposition on it. But let's start here. It's what uh, some, I've managed to find a few books on psalms now, Uh, it's what they call on your notes here, Psalm 1, the foundational psalm. Because particularly in Psalms 1 to 41, that's the Genesis book, The predominant theme of the Psalms here in this Genesis book is man, creation and man. And so this is called the foundational psalm. And uh, the title of the psalm I've just taken uh, right out of here pretty well. The psalm of the righteous and the godly. So as you read through the psalms, I want to give you some clues so it's not just information but formation. Try and find what the theme of the psalm is, what's the psalm all about. And here we find it's the psalm of the righteous and the ungodly. So under letter A, you two men, the two men, and, and we include women here, so don't uh, get uh, sexes on this, okay? Two men or two women, the righteous and the ungodly, that's found in verse 6. You can put next to that. Verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Everybody say righteous but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So, two groups, righteous and ungodly. Now, next to that, neither you can put on the next sheet where you've got a bit of room. The reason this is called the foundation psalm is because all the Bible and all the world is simply divided into two two classes. There is no neutral class. There's no third class. You're either righteous or you're not. You're righteous or you're ungodly. It's just that simple. There's no third class. And then say, well, I'm neutral. No, there's no neutrality. There's only two classes. And you might like to put down uh, uh, for my notes here, all the world is divided into two classes. There is no neutral class, no third class. Let me just give you a, a few samples here. You're either godly or ungodly. You're either sheep or goats. All the sheep said? (laughs) Amen. Come on. You can do better than that. All the sheep said? (laughs) Amen. All the goats? They're the ones who are all button. You know, we'd like to do this, but. No goats here tonight. Number three, you're either wheat or tares. Number four, you're either good fish or bad fish. These are parables of Jesus, those ones. Number five, you're either saved or unsaved. Number six, you're either a believer or an unbeliever. And number seven, uh, you're either a Cain or an Abel. And uh, when I did an exposition on the uh, Gospel of Matthew years ago, you might like to put this down on your notes somewhere, in Matthew chapter 7, I had these students, and you might like to do this assignment, uh, you have uh, 
The, the, Matthew chapter 7 is full of number, num, numbers 2. Now, listen carefully. 2 has two meanings. The number 2 has uh, two meanings. When it's uh, 1 plus 1, that's the number of witness, the number of testimony. Jesus sent the disciples out, the 12 and the 70, 2 by 2, into every city whither he himself would come. That's Luke chapter 10, verse 1, if you want it. So every city had two witnesses. The third witness was Jesus. So notice Jesus sent them out two by two into every city whither he himself, the third testimony, would come. So every city had two witnesses, like we find in the book of Revelation, chapter 11. Jerusalem will have two witnesses. We have clues as to who they are. And then in Matthew chapter 7, you also have one against one. Now, when you have one plus one, that's two, and that's the number of testimony or witness. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. But when you have one against one, that's the number of division. And in the book of Exodus, when they put the blood on the doors, it says in the marginal of King James that, that, that the blood on the door would be a division between Egypt and Israel. It's the blood that makes the division. So one plus one is the number of testimony, number of two, one against one. And here you have all, and in, in, in Matthew chapter 7, I've got too many to read out, but I've got 25 there. You know, the moat and the beam. Give not the, which is holy uh, to dogs, the pearls and the swine, and the bread and the stone. If he asks fish, he won't give him a serpent. The straight gate, the wide gate, the narrow way, the broad way, uh, and on and on and on. There's about 25 in that, just that chapter alone. Okay, so I won't say too much on that. All right, so number two, or number one, letter A, pardon me, the righteous and the ungodly. All the world is divided into two groups, saved or unsaved, believers and unbelievers. There is no neutral ground. So when people say, I'm neutral, no, you're not. No such thing. All right, letter B, two symbols. And these are very interesting symbols. We'll touch on uh, one a bit more, and both of them in time. But the two symbols are verse 3 and verse 4. Verse 3, the righteous, he shall be like a tree. Hallelujah. Now we have certain things about the tree. But verse 4, the ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff. You're either like a tree or like a chaff. That's it. We'll, we'll come back to that. So tree or chaff, verse 3 and 4. Then let us see... The two ways, and this is found, and remember I'm using New King James on this or old, depending on your translation. i just tease you a bit on that. Verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So two ways, and may I say again, that's Matthew chapter 7 again. The two ways, the broad way, that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in there, or else the narrow way, 
and the straight gate, and few there be that find it. Remember that when we think of the world's population and how many are dinky-dye genuine Christians. Going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. And calling yourself a Christian doesn't make you one. Thank you, Kevin, for that good thought. Okay, so two ways. The way of the righteous, the way of the ungodly. And then in verse, uh, or letter D here, two destinies. And this is found in verse 3. And whatever he does shall prosper. So prosper. And then verse 6. The way of the ungodly shall perish. Two destinies. So we have two men, two symbols, two ways, two destinies. Now, let's go down. Uh, we want to spend the most of our time on the characteristics. I've put characteristics of the godly, verses 1 to 3, and characteristics of the ungodly, verses 4 to 6. Now, note the outline I've given here, and you can make up your own outline, but I want to spend a, spend a bit of time particularly on the second one here. So number one, his blessedness. Why don't you just put a thought down here? Blessed is the man and the woman. So blessed, they are blessed. And the Hebrew there is uh, actually one of the tribes of Israel, Asher, and it means happy, very happy. How many are happy tonight? You should be very happy if you're a tree. If you're a bunch of chaff, <laughs> no, I know you're not. Okay, happy, very happy. Uh, Amplified says happy, uh, very happy uh, to be envied. Blessedness. Now, number two, I want you to note this, position. Now, in verse 2, and I've underlined this in my Bible, because I'm a fanatic, you know that, I believe the word's inspired, I want you to notice the three positions of the human body that are given here. And I want you uh, to follow with me a, a theme that sort of flows through the word here. All right, verse, uh, verse, oh, it's a verse 1, correction. My, my computer's not converted yet. So verse 1, number 1, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Now, you'll notice they are, they are the three main positions of the human body. Notice sleeping's not allowed. No sleeping. So you're either walking or standing or sitting. So that's what I want you to put in your notes there. His position Verse, uh, verse 1, that should be. Letter A, walking. Letter B, standing. Letter C, sitting. Now, as I've gone through the word over the years, you know, and you see it's all just one. There's only one author, as I said. Many writers, 40 different writers, but one author. I found that there's a theme of this walking, standing, sitting that runs through the word. And I'm going to uh, recommend a little book to you. Might be able to get from the bookshop later on, who gave me the seed thought. I want you to turn over, and we're going to look at uh, this walking, standing, sitting, these threefold position in relation to Israel, in relation to Jesus, and in relation to the church, particularly. I tried to do a USB tonight, and it just didn't work out. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 11.
And remember, this is Bible teaching, so you must bring your Bible. Now, notice this, and uh, just bear with me as we develop this theme here. Watch my time. Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verses 18 to 21. Now, the Lord's talking to Israel through Moses, his prophet. So he says, uh, Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you... What's the next word? Underline that. Sit. So it's responsibility of parents to teach their children the word. You are to be priest in your home. Don't depend upon the church to do it. When you sit in your house. So sitting. Then when you... What's the next word? Walk. When you walk by the way, and it's implied here, so walking, and when you lie down and when you rise up, in other words, we use the word standing. So sit, walk, stand. Okay, that's there. And the responsibility to teach the word and teach the children. Then go over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, which is basically a repeat of it. Uh, so bear with me as I build up here. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and um, verses 4 to 9. So it says, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And that uh, Hebrew word there is one. It's a plurality of divine persons, but one person. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I command thee, uh, this day shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently unto your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in the house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you get up. In other words, when you stand. So get the word into you. Now, let's, uh, so, so you'll see that uh, God sort of emphasized these three positions. So blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, but, and doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. So walking, standing, sitting. Then let's go to Jesus, and uh, we won't, I won't, I'll just have to give you a few scriptures here. Um, too much material here. But uh, let me add a, a couple of scriptures here. And you'll find in the ministry of Jesus, but it goes this way, it goes walking, now in the life of Jesus, walking, and then sitting, and then standing. So everybody say that with me. Walking, stand, uh, sitting, and then standing. Okay, listen to the scriptures, and if you haven't got them on your notes because there's too much here. Uh, John one thirty six. John one thirty six. And here it says, John the, uh, referring to John the Baptist, looking upon Jesus as he walked. And then Luke thirteen thirty three, I must walk today and tomorrow and the third day be perfected. And then First uh, John chapter 2, verse 6, you've got that one. Uh, you or, if you abide in him, you also ought to walk as Jesus walked. So as the Father looked down from heaven 
and saw Jesus walking in the earth, how many to believe he was pleased with his walk? See, walk has to do with our behavior, our lifestyle. So looking on Jesus as he walked, we ought also to walk as Jesus walked. Then, I think you've got uh, Mark 16. I'll give you a couple of other scriptures. See, when Jesus finishes uh, redemptive work, uh, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, what did he do? As he ascended back to the Father, what did the Father say? Sit on my right hand until all your enemies be made your footstool. And so Jesus is seated. And then Psalm 110, verse 1, we'll be doing that psalm later on. Sit on my right hand. And you don't sit until it's a finished work. Uh, why don't you put down this one scripture here? Got to keep moving on. As I told you, the more you know, the less you know. Um, listen to uh, how the writer to the Hebrews makes the... Uh, business of sitting so important. Uh, put down Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews 10 verse 11 through to 13. Hebrews 10, 11 through to 13. And, and, and because I'm, the Bible is inspired, every word hits me. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can ne- never take away sins. Every priest is standing But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. You don't sit down until it's a finished work. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Just imagine the language here. Every priest is standing daily. And I wonder if those priests who are in the tabernacle of Mercy, oh, I'm just tired of standing up. I wish there was a seat. Oh, I know where there's a seat. There's a seat right in the most holy place on the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. How many know if they had have tried to presume to sneak under the veil and sit on the mercy seat, God would have blasted them down under, down to Australia and further? Because that had a little notice on reserved for Jesus. And when Jesus finished his walk on earth, He went to heaven and the Father said, sit on my right hand until. And Jesus is seated there tonight making intercession for his church. That's worth a little baby hallelujah. Not too emotional now. Sit. But in the book of Acts, we have one interesting thing. When Stephen was being stoned, and not on LSD, we must say that, but real live stones, he said, I see heaven opened. And the glory of God and Jesus standing. What's Jesus standing for? He's standing there to welcome the first martyr of the early church. And he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And so the angels carried the spirit of Stephen straight into the presence of Jesus. And Jesus received him and sat down. Now, let's go quickly to standing. That's in Daniel chapter 12. I can only give you a thought and hit it and run away. When Jesus comes, how how, how many believe that Jesus is seated tonight and he ever lives to make intercession for us? He's doing that now. It's not just a sermon, it's a truth. I'm telling you the truth. But when Jesus comes a second time, 
what happens? He's going to stand up. And listen to the implication. Once he stands up, no more mercy. He comes in flaming fire, blazing glory, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel. Just read the scripture about the second coming. And you see people say, oh, well, once Jesus comes, uh, there'll still be mercy. You'll get a second chance in the millennium. Not in my Bible. Once he leaves the mercy seat, that's it. And you see Daniel 12 puts it this in a peculiar way, and it's a whole hour's message to do it properly. Uh, at that time, there Michael shall stand up. And when he stands up, there's a lot of significance in that. No more mercy. So no second chance. That's it. Think of it. Now, let me go just quickly for a few moments. And uh, if you can get hold of this, this is where I got the seed book or the seed on Ephesians uh, by Watchman Nee. And it's called Sit, Walk and Stand. I don't know if anybody's got it. It's a little gold mine. You got it? Okay, it's a little gold mine. So if you can get that, and that's what I wanted to do. Um, uh, <clears throat> Why don't you, uh, on a bit of sheet here, uh, sort of put it this way, and then I'll give you some references. What he does in that book, and I can only sort of give you, he, he takes up the seated position and then the walk and then the stand of the believer. So if you can get hold of that book, maybe word might have it, but it's a little gold mine. Let me say it to you just because uh, of our time. <clears throat> Turn over to the Epistle of Ephesians because as I've got on your notes there, uh, we see this walk, stand, walking, standing, sitting in the history of Israel. We see it in the ministry of Jesus, walking, sitting, standing. And in the church, it's sit, walk, and stand. So let's go over to a couple of verses. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, let's go to verse, uh, verse 5. In chapter 1, you'll find that Jesus has been taken to heavenly places and uh, everything's been put under his feet and, and God told him to sit at his right hand. But now, this has to do with the church. So in verse 5 it says, Even when we were dead in sins, he hath quickened us together. Everybody say together. So he's made us alive, quickened us together. With Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together. That's resurrection, ascension. And made us sit together. Where? In heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So can you think of it? I mean, my USB didn't come out. But we are quickened together. We are made alive. We were dead in trespasses and sins. But we are quickened together, made alive together. We are raised up together. And we are sitting together. So where are you tonight? See, when people say to you, oh, well, keep looking up. No, keep looking down. It depends whether you're walking on earth 
or whether you're seated in heavenly places. Now, this is truth, whether you believe it or not, or whether you feel or not. Sometimes I don't feel like it. I feel very earthbound. But this is the first, uh, second chapter. We are seated together with Christ. Sitting. That's it. Then, in the middle column, if you want the verse, I can give it to you afterwards. So, sitting together... In uh, chapter 2, 4, and 5, you'll find the word walk is used eight times. Let me say them to you, and you needn't take them down. But, you know, you've got to think. Walk, your walk in time past. We are to walk in good works. We are to walk worthy of the vocation where we're called. We are not to walk as other Gentiles walk. We are to walk in love. God is love. We are to walk in light. God is light. We are to walk circumspectly. So eight times in this passage he puts walking. So I'm seated and because I know my position in Christ, even whether I feel like it or not, I'm seated with him together. I've been quickened together, I've been raised together, I'm seated together in heavenly places. Now I can walk on earth how a Christian should walk. But then, when you get to chapter 6, the last chapter, what does he say? Let me read it to you. Ephesians 6 and verse 11. Verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. stand against the wiles of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rules of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. That's where our warfare. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to Stand. Stand, therefore. I mean, Paul, you've said stand four times. What's wrong with you? That's what I'm saying. You see, this has to do with our heavenly position in Christ. This has to do with our walk on the earth. And then we can stand against the wiles of the wicked one. It has to do with our warfare. So how many think the Bible could be inspired? Amen. So let's go back to Psalm 1 in the light of that. So just, just little words. So... Uh, if you can get hold of that book, it's a little gold mine, get it. Okay, watch me there. All right, so Psalm 1, where are we? All right, so notice it, blessed is the man. So what is the cause of all this? What's the cause of the blessing? You don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Uh, it bothers me when I hear Christians going to get counsel from people who are atheists, agnostics, and don't believe in the Bible, don't believe in sin, don't believe in Jesus, don't, and they're getting counsel from the ungodly. I, I, I don't understand it. I remember one time, 100 years ago, when I was the sergeant major here, when I was the senior minister, we had one girl down in Monash, and she's dropped into fornication and messing her life up there. And so she went to a counsellor, an ungodly counsellor, down at Monash, and he just said to her, look, are you a churchgoer? Yes. Well, you've been brainwashed. 
You just need to keep having sex until all that so-called guilt feeling goes away. So she told me how the counselor, how to deal with guilt of immorality. I said, well, that's man's way. I'll tell you God's way. If we repent of our sin and confess our sins, the blood of Jesus and cleanse you. I said, she was ready to commit suicide. Yeah. Nor sits in the, uh, nor stands in the pathway of sinners. Standing in people's way, pathway. Sitting in the seat of the scornful has to do with being critical, cynical, sour, everything like that. How can we be blessed as men and women if we, if we violate that? The blessing comes on those who walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, don't stand in the pathway. And how many Christians stand in the path of sinners, hindering them coming to Christ? If that's Christianity, I don't want it. Sitting in the seat of the scornful, critical attitude, everything. Hey, no, let's do it this way. How many can say amen? amen. Are you breathing out there? Yes. All right. Okay, uh, go to number three on your notes here, down the godly line. So blessedness and our position, walking, standing, sitting. But in this case, Ephesians, sitting, walking, standing. Okay, walking, uh, sitting in the heavenly places, walking as a Christian should walk on earth, and then standing against principalities and powers. Number three, his behavior. I've sort of alluded to that. Doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, pathway of sinners, doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. Number four, his delight. Where's his delight? In the law of the Lord. And, you know, we've sort of dealt with this before a bit. You know, the, the whole issue over law and grace. I've had a few emails sent me to recently from Perth and some from Singapore, some from America. Well, I'm not under law, I'm under grace. And, and, and sorry to say these things, but we've got to settle these things out. A, a couple and his wife in a particular country got into adultery, both of them. And because they'd been taught, and I can give you exact quotes on this, I won't out of courtesy, that even when we sin, we sin in the light. That's a lie. It's a delusion. It's what I call greasy grace. Slides right into hell. And see, I've, I'm an old man, but I've been around the traps a bit. When the one division of early latter rain uh, revival, they took, they abused Paul's scripture and says, well, where sin abounds, grace is much more abounds. So the more we sin, the more we can experience the grace of God. I said, read the next verse. Shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. See? Greasy grace. And so I see some of a revival today. The sad part about this uh, person I've been trying to help, the man jumped out of a many-story building and committed suicide. The wife suddenly realized, we're wrong. We're wrong. We can't be... See? He meditates... And meditation, the best illustration of that is the old cow that chews the cut. I know some of you would like to be an old cow and have four stomachs. <laughs> the cow has four stomachs and it has the eat now and chew later plan. So when it fills up the four stomachs, goes and sits down and meditates and regurgitates it. And I hope you do that with a word and chew the cud. That's what it is in your... And, 
The Bible is so full. Oh, how I love your law. Love fulfills the law. And you see, one of the uh, concerns today is uh, uh, some of the teaching that's floating around. We're not under law, we're under grace. And the greatest promise of the old covenant or the new covenant was, uh, I'll forgive their sins and remember their iniquities no more. But the next verse says, the next part says, I will write my law in their minds and in their hearts. Now, what's the difference between law and grace while we're on it? See, the law was written on two tables of stone. It was external, Ten Commandments, telling me what to do, condemning me if I didn't do it, but giving me no grace to keep it. The new covenant is, I would write my laws in their minds and in their hearts. It's internal, not external. And the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And Jesus puts it down to two. Which is the great commandment? He didn't even say the Sabbath day or anything. Didn't quote any of the ten. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And the second's like, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. If I love God with all my heart and soul, I'll fulfill the first four commandments. If I love my neighbors myself, I'll fulfill the last six. Love fulfills the law. And Paul puts it this way. For any commandment says, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt love your neighbors yourself or whatever, uh, honor your father and mother. He goes through about six commandments. He said, they're all fulfilled in this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So when I hear preachers saying, I'm not under law, I'm under grace. No, David says, oh, how I love your law. Oh, he messed up and kicked himself for it, never forgave himself for it. But he was under the death penalty, murder and adultery. Oh, but through his psalms, oh, how I love your law. Your law is within my heart. That's it. That's what we're talking about. His delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. My wife reads to me every night before I go to sleep. Generally I know the chapter and verse where it is. If she reads a hymn, I'll sing it to her until she tells me, stop it. (laughs) Okay, his delight. That's enough on that. All right, let's turn over now. Number five, his fruitfulness. And note the language, it's a, it's a tree. He is like a tree, so a cedar tree, we would assume, like a tree, and he's planted. And Psalm 92, I've given you the scripture there, those that be planted in the house of the Lord. So you've got to be planted in God's house. You've got to be planted in the local church. I'm strong on it. I get so many people, well, I don't go to church anywhere. I just go where the Spirit leads me. I say, well, which Spirit? (laughs) I'm glad for the local church. You say it's full of imperfect people. Well, what are you? The moment you find the perfect church, you'll mess it up. (laughs) The, The Lord is perfecting the church of imperfect people through imperfect ministries because it's the Word and Jesus alone. That's it. Thank you, Kevin. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord, they will be fat and flourishing. And we're not talking about the Middle East here. Okay. They will be by the rivers of water. 
In other words, their subterranean roots will go out to the secret source of life, rivers of water, rivers of the Holy Spirit. They will bring forth fruit in their season. And uh, Jesus said, you'll know them not by their gifts, but by their fruits. By their fruits you, you know them. And, uh, and fruit here has to do... Uh, why don't you turn over quickly? I think we, yeah, we've got a bit of time. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7 on this one. Matthew chapter 7. Everybody doing okay? Yes. All right. Uh, turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I heard that parody. Uh, I used to say that when I was your age. Okay. Uh, Matthew chapter 7. And, and uh, I may have mentioned this before. I've had to mention it uh, these days again. Go to verse 15. And here Jesus is saying, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. So they must have scunned some sheep alive to get their clothing. But inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You can tell them by their accent. Now, notice this. You will know them not by their gifts, but by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good uh, tree uh, bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor, uh, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Now, how many, I've underlined in my Bible, the word fruit is mentioned seven times. Seven times. By their fruits you will know them. Now, not by their gifts. A Christmas tree has gifts, but it never has fruit. Now, what is fruit? I like Connor's definition. Fruit is the outward manifestation of the inward nature and character of the tree. Let me say that again. What is fruit? Fruit is the outward manifestation of the inner nature and character of the tree. Now, in verses 15 to 20, he's dealing with fruit, character. But in verse 21 to 23, he's dealing with charisma. He's dealing with gifts, not fruit of the Spirit. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, Lord. No man can say Jesus Lord but by the Spirit. He's referring to Pentecostal charismatic people, not unsaved, not professors, not churches who do not believe in these things. Have we not prophesied in thy name? And in your name, exercise, not exercise, exorcise devils, cast out demons, and in your name done many wonderful works, works of power, miracles. See, the difference is verse 15 through to 20 is fruit having to do with character and verse 21 to 23 is dealing with charisma and dealing with gifts. Wherefore, by their fruit, you know them, not by their gifts. So he brings forth fruit, <coughs> pardon me, in his season. In a season. And he's, he's evergreen. His, his leaf, that should be, his leaf shall not wither, he's evergreen, and whatever he does will prosper. What a tremendous picture. All right, let's for our last few moments, our time all mowed up. Uh, 
Let's go to uh, the other side, the ungodly. Now, notice the ungodly are like chaff. Absolutely useless. I used to work on a farm, and chaff is useless. The cows won't eat it. Nobody will eat it. What happens to it? It's blown away. And I went through every reference in the Bible on chaff. It's blown away, and it's burned in the fire. So the ungodly are like chaff. What a contrast to a tree. His position, he will not stand in the judgment. In contrast to the righteous that would stand before the Lord in that day, the righteous will stand, he will not stand. And, and Jesus said, pray that you may be worthy to stand before the Son of Man. And you know, when Jesus comes a second time, all the nations are gathered before him and he divides them as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats and the goats are on the left hand and the goats are the sheep are on the right hand. But they stand there, standing. And then his doom, shall he shall perish. God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So not much given to the chaff. All right, now for our last moment here, let's go to uh, Jeremiah chapter 17. And this is very interesting because it is quite definite that Jeremiah knew Psalm 1, this foundational psalm. And this is what I've called on your notes here. Read Jeremiah Psalm 1, Jeremiah chapter 17 and verses 5 to 9. So listen to it, uh, verses 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. But here's Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord, for he will be like a tree, planted by the rivers, planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green, evergreen, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will, nor, nor will cease from yielding its fruit. Wow, what an awesome psalm. So Jeremiah knew about that psalm and practiced the truth of it. So how many want to be like a tree? Planted by the rivers of water, bring forth fruit, fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not talking about gifts, fruit of the Holy Spirit, the inner nature, character of Christ. By their fruits, you will know them. All right, our time is up, so let's all be upstanding. You've been sitting, and I've been sitting and walking and standing. And uh, as soon as we close in prayer, don't forget to pick up your children. Make sure you've signed up the attendance sheet for notes next week. Oh, I've got to give you an assignment. I'll do that in a moment. Why don't we join hands across the auditorium here, like I like to do. Father, we just uh, stand in your presence. We thank you, Lord, that we are seated together in heavenly places in Christ. As we go out now into the week, back to our work, back to uni, wherever, 
May our walk be like that of Christ. And Lord, may we be able to stand against all the wiles of the evil one. We join our hands outwardly. We join our hearts inwardly. Pray your blessing upon us. And may this word bring forth fruit in all our life, not just uh, information to our mind, but formation of our character and our lives. We just commend it to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody said amen. Okay, now your assignment for next week. I know you're reading, uh, those of you who belong to City Life, you're reading through the Bible. Uh, but the Psalms I want you to read next week that we're going to cover. Session 1, Psalm 19. So Psalm 19. And then we're going to do a triplet of Psalms. Psalm 22, 23, 24. So that's four Psalms I'd like you to read next week, whatever translation you've got. Psalm 19 uh, for, for our first session, Psalm 22, 23, 24. Be sure to pick up a copy of Kevin Connor's verse-by-verse exposition on the book of Psalms, available in Australia from word.com.au and internationally from Amazon in paperback and Kindle formats and as an immediate PDF download from kevinconnor.org forward slash shop.